Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. I love that song. I love all those songs, but especially that one that said, We are hungry, we are hungry. You should sing that with me. We are hungry for more of you. We are thirsty, oh Jesus. We are thirsty for more of you. Well, you're a good choir, but do it again. We are hungry. We are hungry. We are hungry for more of you. We are thirsty, oh Jesus. We are thirsty for more. Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, we're hungry. We're thirsty. Thank you for that promise that Amy reminded us of where Jesus said, everyone who's thirsty will drink of the living water. And out of their innermost beings will flow rivers, gushing rivers of living water. We pray, we ask, we petition that that would be our portion this morning, Lord. As we present to you hungry hearts, thirsty hearts, we would be satisfied. And and Lord, we want to, I want to at least, and I think many of us do want to say, uh, we're sorry that we've sometimes replaced hunger for you with lesser things to fill that hunger, and lesser drinks to fill that hunger and that thirst. We right now focus our attention toward you and say, no, it's you that we're hungry for. Every other idol we're not hungry for. We reject every other idol. We make you alone, Lord. We say Jesus is Lord. You alone are Lord. Everything else, everything else we we relinquish, we walk away from, we make you number one, we are hungry for you. Come fill us. I'm thirsty for you. Mm. Is that you? Are you hungry? <laughs> My hunger is growing, I think, even. Oh. I, I, I don't know what all you are where you are watching um, available sources of information regarding the, what you could call fires that are happening in the spirit around the United States. But right now, especially on college campuses and high school campuses and middle school campuses, there are gatherings of people that are worshiping and praying. Many coming and testifying, mostly young people, mostly led by young people. Are you aware of that? There's some call that revival, um, outpouring. I mean, the big one that's in the news is in that city, the, the township of Wilmore, Kentucky. Um, but it's all over the place, if you dig a little deeper. The stories of um, miraculous healings. Um, I think I heard of a blind eye open, deaf ears, demons driven out. It looks a lot like the Bible. 
It looks a lot like the New Testament. It looks a lot like the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And, and I'm hungry for more. I'm hungry for that in our that, you know, um, Steve announced City Prayer, and it's called that because Roy Lopez, I, I don't know if he's here, um, he was here earlier, he's leading that, and he has a hunger to not just bless a church, but to not just bless the churches, but to bless the city. So he gathers people together wherever he can to pray for the whole thing. And that's what that's about, to pray, Lord... Revive your church, let it overflow into the city, let there be blessing and provision and care for the poor and binding up of the brokenhearted and all the works of the kingdom, healing the sick and diseased, healing the oppressed, setting, just the work of your kingdom, let it come. So that's what, that's what Tuesday nights at 7.30 is about. And you, you might consider coming. But know that it's not a real quiet prayer meeting. They sometimes are kind of calling out vehemently, Lord, come, kind of prayers. I, I would encourage you um, to come to that. I'm looking to see if I have some notes to guide me today. I do. Okay, there they are. So, hey, there's that, that title screen on the projector. So I should put over here. You might see it all over my left shoulder, I'm told, on, online. We are talking in our times together about this idea of the kingdom of God and an understanding that when Jesus came, he said rather boldly that the end had come now before the end. And um, if you would not mind if I spend a minute and a half giving you some technical jargon, then I'll come back and talk regularly. Um, there's a word that describes talking about the end of the world called eschatology. Have you ever heard that word? Eschatology? And it comes from the word eschaton. It means the, it's the end of the world. You know, you've seen the movies about Armageddon and all. It's when the world comes to an end, God comes and ultimately redeems everything and makes everything new. And all of the evil is finally put away, flushed away. Not unlike the time when there was a great flood and all of the evil people died in the time of Noah. Not unlike that, only this time it won't be just one family that's saved like Noah was. It will be a very large family of people who've given their lives into relationship with Jesus and entered the kingdom of God. It's powerful. But the end is coming when Jesus will return with great power as the King of kings and Lord of lords. There will not be any more a time of persuasion and invitation. That time will be over. It will be done. The kingdom of God will be here in its fullness. And Jesus came with something called an inaugurated eschatology. That's not the words he used, but it's a description that we've come up with to try to describe this understanding of the kingdom. That the end of the world has already been inaugurated in Jesus. And you know the word inauguration because you know every four years we have a president elected and then on January 21st there's the inauguration. And before the new president's government is really established, it's begun and he's inaugurated. And that's where that comes from. Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is here now. Repent and believe the good news. Enter into all the goodness that's available now. But he also said, 
you should pray that the kingdom of God would come. And he also, in parables especially, said it's delayed. So it's here, and we're tasting of the powers of that age now in the life of Jesus. But it's not fully here until he fully returns, until he returns and consummates it. Does that make sense? That's called inaugurated eschatology. It's our understanding of this theology of the kingdom, this understanding of the kingdom of God. Then we, we added in the vineyard movement another word, and that was kind of the brilliance of John Wimber, who he was the, the first kind of leader of the vineyard movement. He was like, well, that's a great theology and philosophy and understanding, but maybe we should do something about it. Maybe that should change how we live. Maybe we can enact. So they call it enacted, inaugurated eschatology, which are three big words, and I'll come back to normal talking in a second, but (laughs) enacted, inaugurated eschatology is the idea that Jesus has come, the kingdom is available, and for those who will say yes and step into it, he will say, I'm sending you with the same power and authority that I was sent with, and you can also do the works of the kingdom in your time and your age. And if you pray, my kingdom will break in now before the end, which is what we're experiencing when we hear these stories of revival around the nation. Jesus taught that any time you'd see um, healing at his hand or deliverance from demons against the powers of darkness, he would say, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And the idea of enacted, inaugurated eschatology is that right now you and I, can enter willingly into a relationship with Jesus, making him king, and we can experience the kingdom now. And he will empower and authority, bring the the powers and the joys and the peace of the coming age into our world now. There you have it. Now you know. Enacted, inaugurated, eschatology, which doesn't matter if you know those words, but the concept is kind of important. Well, one of the things that's a key piece of that is something that Christians call being saved. Most of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, have that language in your mind somewhere. Some will say, well, have you been saved? And, and many of you will remember when you were saved. Am I, is that right? Am I nodding heads, please, or like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So, so some of you, at some point, you were invited to a church service or a, a thing in a coliseum where a guy was a really good speaker. Maybe Greg Laurie was doing a harvest crusade, and you went to that. Or somewhere you went, some, possibly watching television, and the person speaking said, now, everyone who'd like to give their life to Jesus, you know, come to the front, and we're going to lead you in a prayer. And then you prayed a prayer, and, and something happened inside of you. And it was more than just a prayer. It became, and, you, and you would say, oh, that's when I was saved, right? Or some of you were just at home, and you, you'd been thinking about what you've been hearing, people talking about Jesus, and suddenly you'd realize, I, I think it's time for me to enter into that. And you, you just gave something to the Lord, you prayed, you, and something changed inside. You were saved, right? I want to look at that process of salvation and try to understand what does it mean, how does it work, at least a little bit, um, because it's a kingdom event. When we experience this thing called salvation, it is one of the components of living the future now, of the kingdom of God, the future age breaking into our life now. 
So, so Lord, let's talk to you. We want to ask for your help. We're going to open up the scriptures and try to learn more, to understand more what this thing that we call salvation is. Give us revelation that our hearts would be full of worship, that we'd stand in awe of you, and that we would be empowered by you and by understanding to take this message and this power to our world in our time, to our generation, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done. Speak through me, I pray. Help me to articulate thoughts that you've written down in your word. Help me to understand. Help us to learn. We've come before you today with hearts open in faith that you would transform us even more today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we need salvation. I need salvation. You do individually. But corporately, the world needs salvation. Apart from God's salvation, we are on a path to destroy each other. Individually, one-on-one, just to ourselves, we will make decisions that destroy our own lives. And as a community of, of people, we actually are on a path without God's salvation to destroy this planet. I mean, we now have weapons that literally could do it. It's, I mean, it's like rather incredible. Before, you know, in Jesus' time, they didn't have a nuclear bomb. It was just sort of theory. We actually could do it. We've got so many of them, we could blow up this world many times over, and we've got, you know, missiles pointed at each other. We need salvation. The world needs salvation. And I I suspect the only thing that's kept us from destroying each other is the salvation that's already come, the presence of God, the kingdom of God here now. Maybe you don't believe me. You think, oh, he's hyperbole. Or maybe you think, no, that's the truth. (laughs) So... In, in trying to understand salvation, I, I want to give you a kind of an overview, uh, an arch, an, the big arch arc of the story of the Bible from beginning to end, because it's about kingdoms and it's important. Are you okay with this? So, in the beginning, God created the world and he created people and he put them in place to particularly be in dominion over this planet kind of as his vice regents. He's the king, and he set up people and said, I want you to subdue this earth, clean it up, control it, take care of it, take care of the animals, take care of this place. It's yours. I'm king, but I'm putting you in charge. Man, Adam and Eve, mankind. When I say man, I mean mankind or humanity. I hope that's not offensive because I know now I, there's, I guess you shouldn't say mankind or something. But if I slip, I mean humanity. Okay, all people, women and men, equally. <laughs> okay, thank you, disclaimer. Um, and then, the first two people, in everyone's sense, rebelled in sin. And when they did that, this is important, they gave away the dominion that they were entrusted with to another power named Satan. And Satan became the king of this world. And the Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this present evil age. So there's a problem in the kingdom world. This planet 
became under the rule of an evil, oppressive usurper. And it wasn't like Adam and Eve just oopsed. Oh, one small mistake, you know, I'll get it better next time. And the people after them got it right. No, everyone, you and me, all rebelled against God as king over and over and over again. All of us have sinned. This is apparently not an understood message anymore. I have a son who's a high schooler, and he tells me at his school, conversations philosophically come up, I think in government class, maybe in English class. He's the only person in his whole class against his teachers, against all the students, that would suggest that people aren't all just really good. When he says, no, people have sin in their hearts, everyone says he's crazy. I, and I'm like astounded. Have you looked at the world? Why would you even question that? Every person has rebelled against God and said, no, I don't want you to be God. And we've all established other idols. Anything that takes the place of God is an idol. We've all replaced God as authority with other things, and it's a rebellion. And as a result, this world is in bad shape. I hope I'm not... I mean, you know, this is the story of the Bible, because there's good news at the end. Um, you might not think about you as someone who worships idols, or ever did. But the fact is, we all have done it, and the whole planet does it. And the thing about idolatry and worship is that we become like what we worship. If you worship sex, you make sex an idol, you will come under the control of lust, and you will be a very broken person inside. You'll think you started serving something good, and it will overrule you and crush you. If you idolize money, you will be filled with greed and never satisfied. You will become like what you worship. If you worship at the idol of power, you will become sadistic, narcissistic, egotistical, oppressive, selfish, and have no gentle human love for others if you worship at the altar of power. Anything that we place in place of God becomes an idol, and we become like the thing we worship. And if you don't believe me, look around our world today. It's, the, it's why we're on a path of destruction. So God, I mean, there's a longer story with lots of details as you read the Bible, but God enters in, chooses a man named Abraham and says, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and I'm going to show the world what it could look like if people would return to me as king, and I'll make covenants with you. And if you'll trust me and obey my covenants, you'll enter into peace and joy and stability and life again. And he established the nation, and they quickly turned their backs on God and began to worship idols again. And God, through prophets, as that nation was in exile, said, I'm going to send a king, a Messiah, an anointed one. Remember, this is about kingdoms. I'm going to send another king. He's going to be human, and he's also going to be divine. Um, you know, one, <laughs> there's a lot of religions that will say, well, Jesus wasn't God. He's just, you know, good, 
your teacher or agent of the divine or something, but not divine. You know this prophecy. You hear it at Christmas. Unto us a son is given. This is descriptive of the Messiah. Unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. And the government will be on his shoulders. See if you know this. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. What's the next line? Mighty God. If there's any question, it's answered right there. Jesus, in the prophecies, will be called Mighty God. This Messiah would be a king who is human and God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He would be a warrior who would come and defeat the evil usurper in terms of kingdoms. I think, am I still with you? Okay, I think in terms of when I, when I hear stories of the, of the Allied forces in the Second World War coming in and defeating Nazi Germany and, and discovering the concentration camps, opening the doors and setting the prisoners free, defeating the enemy and setting the oppressed free. Jesus comes as a mighty warrior, the army of God against Satan the oppressor, another mighty army, and destroys him to set people free. Kingdom against kingdom. He's a warrior king. We need salvation. The Messiah has come to bring us into the kingdom of God again, out from under the kingdom of Satan. Remember, what am I talking about? What salvation is. And you might think of salvation as forgiveness of my sins. But biblically, it's that and an exchange of sovereignties. Here's our state described by um, Paul, the apostle, in his letter to the Ephesians. As for you, Ephesians 2, verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. All of us. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, can you imagine being fully just and fully merciful? Realizing as the just judge that justice demands something. Realizing as the merciful one that the people that you love are about to have the hand of justice come down upon them. What do you do if you're that God? God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were still dead in our transgressions. It is by grace, that's called grace, his mercy and his love and his kindness for us that he comes and takes our place. And God raised us up. It's by grace you've been saved. This next sentence is kingdom talk again. It is God who then raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. What does that phrase mean? He's talking, and if we had time to read the whole text, you know, the whole chapters, we'd see more of this. He's talking about Jesus the King, who is on a kingly throne. He says, God has restored us to the original place where mankind was supposed to be in dominion 
under the rulership of Jesus, or God the King, taking care of this world, this planet, he has restored us to that place in Christ. Did you see that? God has seated us with him on his throne in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the uncomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Here's, here's the understanding and the fact that's really uncomfortable. You are either in one kingdom or the other. There's only two. There's no fence to sit on, by the way. You can't be sitting on the fence between two kingdoms. You are either, I am either, under the dominion of Satan or under the dominion of God. Satan's chief ploy, his chief deceit is to tell us, oh no, there is a third option, you can be king. Isn't that what he told Adam and Eve? And most of us believe it. There's, you don't have to serve, you're not serving Satan, and you don't have to serve God, he's kind of impressive. You can serve yourself, be true to yourself. <laughs> you can be king, you can be your own God, you can be in charge of your life, and it's a lie. I just had a, a, a blank in my you ever have spots in your brain where something goes blank? Bob Dylan is the name I was looking for, who was blank for a second. What's the song he wrote about this? You've got to serve somebody. Bob had it right. You're going to have to serve somebody. somebody. <laughs> now, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody, right? <laughs> Paul can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, what about good religious people? Certainly they're not serving Satan if they're not serving Jesus. Jesus came to the best religious people of the day who were skilled at following the law of Moses. And he looked at them and said, you are children of your father, the devil. Wow. He said, if you reject me, you're children of your father, the devil. Because God has established a means by which we can come into his government, under his kingdom. And it is through his Messiah whom he has sent. Salvation is forgiveness of sins, but it's an exchange of sovereignties. Who's the king? Who's the sovereign? Here's how the Bible describes it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Are you, are you doing good here? I, I know I'm, I'm like teaching, not but you're, you're good class, okay. I want to make sure you're with me. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion, that's the same word as kingdom, of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son. Salvation is an exchange of sovereignties. The kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom also forgiveness of sins, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The way, I know I might be telling you some basics, but I, I felt so prompted to go through this with us. And for some of us, this might be new thinking. So if, if this is old thinking for you, stick with it for the rest of us, okay? Okay. 
If you'd like, oh, I know this, Ron, why are you teaching the gospel again? <laughs> Though Jesus is a warrior king, he's also a servant king. And this part is so amazing. And I was drawn into the, this particular prophecy that we'll read together in Isaiah as the servant king is described. Such a surprise that Satan was fooled by it. And Satan knew the scripture really well. But the, but the Bible says if the rulers of this present age had really known what was going on, they wouldn't have killed Jesus. They didn't know what was going on. He tricked them. He had another plan. John chapter 12 records the words of Jesus right before he's going to be going to the cross. He says this at verse 31. Now is the time for judgment. Remember the just king? Judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world, that's Satan, will be driven out. You hear the conquering king is coming. He's going to be driven out, but it's such a shock at how it's done. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth. He, he's right there. Jesus is using language designed for the people that are in his audience. It wouldn't be so much for us, but the people in his audience knew the prophet Isaiah's words. They'd heard them over and over. They heard that phrase and they knew exactly, or they should have known exactly what he's talking about. We'll read it and you'll know it too. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He said that to show the kind of death he was going to die. He's referring to crucifixion. Yeah. If... If you don't stop and be in awe, at least occasionally, please be in awe now that God would take the Romans' tool of fear and oppression, the cross, was the most painful, horrible way they could think of killing a person and humiliating them, putting terror in the hearts of anyone who would dare cross against the Romans. You understand, when Jesus was on the cross, there were thousands of other people that year, maybe 10,000 crucified by the Romans. So it looked like it was just one more sorry person, but it wasn't because God took that thing and turned it around and said, I'm going to use this to suck the life out of Satan's arsenal. I'm going to exhaust all his weaponry and suck it into the Son of God so that he no longer can injure anyone if they'll just look to the cross. It's powerful. So let's see how it goes down. Isaiah starting at the end of chapter 52. You know what? Would you read this, some of this with me out loud? I think it's on the screen. Verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Okay, so did you see what Jesus did there? You know, I see what you did there. When you said, I'm going to be lifted up and highly exalted, he was quoting this. He was quoting this, and they should have recognized it. In fact, when I read the rest of what we're going to read, I am still stunned that the people, the, the religious Jewish leaders of Jesus' time somehow missed this. If you read Isaiah 53, I don't see how you can miss that Jesus is the predicted prophesied Messiah. It describes the crucifixion 700 years before Jesus was even born. Verse 14. 
Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred by human likeness. You hearing that? He will, so he will sprinkle many nations. Jesus at his crucifixion was so beat up before he went to the cross that he was almost unrecognizable. You've seen people in a bad accident, bruised, bloated, bloodied. That was Jesus. And it says, so he will sprinkle many nations. That's Jewish ceremonial talk about the sprinkling of blood to cleanse people ceremonially. And you could read about this in, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. This was a, a thing that happened regularly. The blood of a sacrifice was sprinkled to cleanse objects of worship and even people as a ceremonial thing. So he will cleanse, sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. You're, you're looking for kingdom language here, and it's going to happen. Kings will shut their mouth because of him. Kings. For they, what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? It's so shocking, so amazing, the prophet Isaiah speaking the voice of God. To whom has the arm, the strength, the power of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him. The Messiah grows up before God like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground, dry ground where you don't expect anything to grow. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Remember, we're talking about a warrior king, but he's also the servant king. Nothing in his appearance that we should esteem him. He was despised and rejected of men, a sorrow, by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. You know how when you see someone that's suffering and you don't want to catch their eye, so you hide your face so they don't see your eye? That's what they did with Jesus. Like one from whom men hid their faces was despised. We esteemed him not. The prophet, now talking about the people of Israel, we did not esteem him as king because we thought he was despised and rejected. But listen to this. Here's the surprise. Who's believed our report? Who understood this? Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. Smitten by him and afflicted. What's going on here? And this is the power of the servant king who comes to disarm Satan. And the people thought, oh, he's a man of sorrows. Well, he wasn't carrying his sorrows. He was carrying your sorrows and my sorrows. It wasn't like he was just sorrowful. But he saw your sorrow and my sorrow. And what he was going through was to take your sorrow and my sorrow and put it on himself. He took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows. But we thought he, it was because he was being stricken by God. They thought he was being judged by God. Remember the Pharisees said, this man is committing blasphemy. He's sinning against God, therefore God must judge him, and the punishment for him is execution. So they took him to a cross. So the people thought, oh, look what happens when you sin against God. But it wasn't sin against God. It was our sin against God that he was taking upon himself. He was pierced. For our transgressions, what on earth overtook Isaiah that he would say this? 700 years before, the Romans weren't doing crucifixions yet. But he, by the Spirit of God, predicts that there would be nails put through the hands of the master and the feet 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. Remember, the conquering king comes to give us peace where it's been taken away by the oppressive usurper Satan. Because we rebelled, we gave the kingdom to Satan, and this is how God is bringing the kingdom away from Satan, handing it to Jesus so that we can be restored, reigning in life under the rulership of Jesus. This is kingdom conquest, but it's done through servanthood. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. said it before I'll say it again. Satan didn't know what was going on or he wouldn't have put him on the cross. You know, Satan was behind this whole thing. He didn't know that Jesus was taking the kingdom away from Satan on the cross as a servant. But he did. There's a, there's a story of a dad who's in a car in the back seat's his little boy who's allergic to bee stings. Anyone know anyone who's allergic to bee stings? And suddenly there's, they realize there's a, oh, are you? Okay, there's a bee in the car. Bzzz, and the, da- the boy is terrified because if he gets stung, it's not a good thing. And the dad reaches out, grabs the bee, bzzz, in his hand, all of a sudden this stings his hand. And he says, it's all right, son. I've taken the sting. That bee's lost its stinger. It's in my hand. He'll never sting you again. That's what Jesus did. When he went to the cross, he took the sting right out of the stinger. He took the stinger right out of Satan's arsenal. See, sin has power over all people, and no matter what we try it as humanity, we never can get rid of it. It's a power that rules over people. It's like a stinger that always destroys us, that causes us to destroy each other, ruins everything. And Jesus took that stinger into himself. He took all of the sin of the world, all of the suffering, all of the sorrow, all of the transgressions, all of the iniquity, and just sucked it right into his own being so that anyone who will look to Jesus never has to fear the sting of Satan again, nor the power of sin, nor its effect. It has been extinguished in the body of Jesus Christ. It's incredible story. And as a result, Jesus said, but I, when I... See, judgment is coming on this world. Remember, the prince of this world is cast out. When I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw him into me. He defeats Satan on the cross. And I know we know this, maybe you know this, but it's so worth looking at again. It's just stunning. It's just stunning what he did. Colossians 2.13, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers. Can you imagine if you can go into an invading army and take away all their armaments? 
what if you could just sneak in over the enemy lines and destroy all their tanks, all their missiles, all their guns, just destroy them all. They have no armaments left. That's what Jesus did. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. Verse 6 of Isaiah 53, continuing, We all like sheep have gone astray. Sheep are kind of dumb, and they will. <laughs> They'll just follow their mouth to the next blade of grass until they fall off a cliff if necessary. I mean, they just, they're not paying attention. We like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. And the Lord has laid on the Messiah the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he had not opened his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The Lamb of God. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. This is exactly descriptive of Jesus' death on the cross and his burial in the tomb. How you could read this, see the crucifixion, and not know that this was talking about Jesus, I don't know. But man, you read this, you will discover Jesus is the Messiah. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. We are his offspring. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many. He made intercession for the transgressors. That's how the servant king restores the kingdom and rips it out of the hands of Satan. That's how he gives back to Adam's race what was lost when Adam's race, us, rebelled against God and gave Satan dominion. He no longer has dominion if you enter his kingdom. Well, how, how do people activate this truth in their lives? Because it's one thing to know this, but something's got to happen. This, by the way, is the message that we proclaim to people. This is why we say you've got to repent. That means change your way of thinking so that you can enter God's kingdom. Romans 10, verses 8 through 11, describes it this way. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I'm just pausing that for a second. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart. that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, salvation. For it's with your heart you believe and are justified, with your mouth you confess. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be but shame. To say Jesus is Lord means I renounce all other lords. It means I'm no longer God. Pride's no longer God. Sex is no longer God. Money is no longer God. 
Power is no longer God. My family is not my God. My political ideas are not my God. Everything else takes a lower place. Jesus is Lord. How do you enter the kingdom? You look to Jesus and say, you are my Lord, and I renounce every other Lord. When we do that, Jesus said, something miraculous happens. We look to Jesus on the cross. You can read this in the third chapter of John where Jesus explains this to a um, Jewish ruler and says that when you do that, you're born again. We are regenerated. Um, Don Williams, a, a great teacher, writer, says that it's regeneration is, you could think of a, ready for this, a toaster. Shiny, looking useful, but unplugged from the power. Useless. We need to be plugged in. When we look to Jesus as Lord, we get plugged in to the generator. We are regenerated. And now the life source that is required for life in God's kingdom is flowing through us. If you are not plugged in, we read earlier, you're dead. You're an unplugged toaster. You might be shiny, but you're useless. As far as eternal things. You hear me on, online? <laughs> You hear me here? Are you plugged in? Did I read a little more? Okay, thank you, thank you. Appreciate that, Lori. He's also the warrior king. The name of this talk, by the way, is Servant King, Warrior King, Sending King. That was all about the Servant King. I'll be much shorter because I'm out of time, but I didn't have as much anyway left. One of the first pictures of... Um, the kingdom is in the story of the Exodus. After the children of Israel are delivered, this is the language of a song of Moses, Exodus 15. Verse, I'm going to read verse 3 and 18. The Lord is warrior. The Lord is his name. The Lord will reign forever and ever. So Jesus, so God's destroying the power of Pharaoh and Egyptians' army was a foretaste of the kingdom of God. In Acts 10, it says this, describing Jesus, You know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed. By whom? The devil. For God was with him. Oppression is the exercise of authority or power in a burdensome, cruel, or unjust manner. The state of being oppressed and the feeling of being heavily burdened mentally, physically, by troubles, adverse conditions, and anxiety. Jesus is the king, anointed by the Holy Spirit, who sets free all who are oppressed by the devil. This is the work of the warrior king, and it's the work you and I are called to. We could read a whole bunch more texts if we had time of stories where Jesus came to set people free and saw himself, even in healing disease sometimes, as coming against the oppressive power of the evil. Oh, we should read that again. Acts 10.38. How did it go? God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all 
who were oppressed by the devil. He went around doing good for those who were oppressed, healing all who were oppressed. See, oppression is the work of the invading kingdom. Jesus came to set people free. We could read Luke 4 where Jesus says, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the year of the Lord and open blind eyes and set prisoners free and bring release to the oppressed. And on and on we would go. But one day, that's the warrior king, and go read more if you want, or ask me and we'll read more together. But he's the servant king, the warrior king, and the sending king, because one day, if you've put your trust in Jesus, he's going to say, come here. Come here, Steve. Come here, Susan. Come here. Come here, Kevin. And you're like, Jesus has been so good watching you. you know, you're smacking the devil down. I love it. Go get him, Jesus. <laughs> you showed him, Jesus. When you healed that guy, that was good. And then when you fed, I liked it when you fed all those people, 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes. Wow. Go get him, Jesus. And he says, come here. Turn around. Now you go. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. How did the Father send him? Well, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, what we just read. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Anointed with power by the Holy Spirit, going around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That's your assignment. Jesus said... Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I'm going to skip over Mark, because I see the clocks run out on this poor preacher. But I want to read a quote to you. I have a real, you know, I like to make book recommendations. A really great book by Jack Hayford, the great pastor, who just passed away at about 90 years old, you know, a couple weeks ago. Man, what a prolific teacher, preacher, pastor, author. He wrote a book called Prayer is Invading the Impossible. And I'm going to quote from that. The adversary, Satan, still contends for earth rule. And until Christ finally expels all his workings at the end of the world, the eschatology, his conquest is experienced only through warfare, spiritual warfare. Prayer is one of the biggest weapons of spiritual warfare. Proclaiming the gospel is a weapon of spiritual warfare. You know, sometimes when you feed the hungry, that's a weapon of spiritual warfare against the oppression of the evil one, if you're doing it in the name of Jesus. When you clothe those who need clothing and you bring in the homeless, those who've been oppressed, when you help set them free, those who are addicted, each believer is a member of an occupational force which has one principal purpose, to enforce the victory of Calvary. If you don't understand victory of Calvary, he means the victory of Jesus on the cross. Jesus did it, we enter into it, and then we become part of his force, his army, to enforce the victory that he did in our world that's hell-bent toward destruction unless salvation comes. And salvation comes one and only one way. You're going to have to serve somebody, Bob Dylan, thank you, by putting our faith, our trust, and making him Lord, the person, Jesus, the Messiah. 
That's how the kingdom of God comes. We receive it, then we enact it. Come here, turn around, go. Come here, Jesus said. All authority and power is given to me. I give it to you. Go. Dude, that's so scary. Have you ever, like, gone to where there's a need and you have nothing in your pocket to meet the need? And God's saying, well, go anyway. Well, that person is, like, so hurting, I have nothing for them. Really? No, just go. What do I do now? Well, open your mouth. Watch this. I'll fill it. So you go. Your mouth is empty. You walk up. You open your mouth, and God fills it. But he doesn't fill it often until you go. Well, what am I going to say? I'll tell you when you get there. Oh, come on. That's not fair. I know. That's how I do it. Is that how it works, Michael? You have nothing. And he sends you, and you say, yes, sir, I'll go. You go in his name. He says, I've given you power and authority. You go, I got nothing. Well, that's okay. Go. Walk up to them. What will I say? I'll show you. Just love them and watch what I do. Come here. Turn around. You go. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus has defeated the powers of the evil one. The usurper has been disarmed. You've been given the keys of his kingdom. You've been given the Holy Spirit that filled Jesus. You have the same spirit, the same one, not a different one, not part of one. You have the same Holy Spirit. It's incredible. Live the life of the future now by receiving the servant king, the warrior king, and the ascending king. (laughs) Take this presence and this message to our world. Lord God, here we are. Here we are. We'd like to be like Isaiah was when he first encountered your presence and said, here am I, send me. People, take the risk. If you want to follow Jesus and say to him, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. I've looked in faith to you, Jesus. If you haven't looked in faith to Jesus, do that now. Listen, right now, if you are not in God's kingdom, you're in Satan's kingdom, you can get out of it, you can exchange sovereignties, you can renounce that citizenship and enter the citizenship of God's kingdom and experience life, joy, peace, abundant life, tasting of the coming age now by the power of Jesus. Look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're now my boss. You're now my Lord. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart. You are Lord. Now I'm saved. I'm entering into salvation. Let your kingdom come into me and extend through me to my world until this world is healed of the disease of sin, until love reigns. Let the kingdom of God come upon us. Save those 
who are lost save us when we're lost. Anoint us with the Holy Spirit and power so that we can go about doing good and healing everyone who's oppressed by Satan, that his kingdom is crushed and your kingdom is established. Amen. Amy, if you're in the house, would you bring up your worship band, who are incredible, by the way. Lord, thank you for this worship band. (laughs) Folks, if you just were giving your life to Jesus, would you come to the front and let us talk with you and pray with you? If you said, Lord, send me, and you'd like some prayer to help equip you, come to the front, we're going to pray over you. If you have sickness or disease in your body, come to the front. We want to pray over you and see if Jesus will heal you today. If you've been having idols in your life that have taken the place of the Lord, come and kneel before the Lord up front and repent before him and get cleansed and forgiven. Come to Jesus and be sent by Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.